This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 19th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. America, don't build the next great firewall and don't make other moves to choke off the kind of financial innovation that not only will help the U.S. maintain leadership in that area, but also has the potential to undergird new and productive experiments in human flourishing. Cato's Jack Sullivan explains. It is utterly baffling to me to hear some political leaders and some sort of self-anointed pundits sort of look at what China has done in some areas, not all areas, certainly, but to use uh, the tools of China to control X or Y and just, I don't know, I guess they just wax poetic about the ability of a massive state to be able to achieve some end uh, that they deem valuable. And I just can't imagine emulating China when it comes to uh, limiting people's ability to engage with one another as freely as possible. I completely agree. And it's it should be hard to imagine. But unfortunately, it has been the case that in the wake of the FTX crack up, some of the ideas floated by lawmakers, by policymakers, have in some ways embraced certain aspects of the uh, infamous Chinese Great Firewall approach to the global internet. So you have seen uh, entertaining of the idea of potentially banning crypto, as impractical as that might be. You have seen um, from CFTC Chairman Rostin Benham um, discussing the possibility, even if impractical, of potentially having the federal government use its authority to assist foreign crypto exchanges in blocking American users by protecting their firewalls. Um, so really, I think what this demonstrates is that instead of being a problematic technology, the role of crypto in actually countering authoritarian abuses in China is evidence of its utility in a free and democratic state like the United States. So we should not be embracing the firewall model. If anything, we should see that model as uh, a case study for why crypto innovation is actually useful as a freedom-preserving tool around the world. What are the uh, major concerns of U.S. policymakers about preventing the United States from being uh, a leader in this area? So I think uh, there's that saying in Washington, don't let a good crisis go to waste. FTX certainly uh, has all the trappings of a crisis. Um, I think there is a tendency to uh, exaggerate, to overlearn wrong lessons from, say, the demise of a centralized crypto exchange, paint crypto innovation and technology with a broad brush generally. But that is real. that would really be a shame. And I think it's important here to not only look at some of the payment and financial applications of crypto technology that my colleagues and I have discussed, uh, including on this podcast, but to take a step back and look at some of the broader utility of crypto technology um, as a tool for social organizing, for building institutions over a global internet. 
And I think when doing so, when looking at the possibility for crypto technology to, say, uh, support uh, a political movement that wants to have control over its own uh, organizing tools, its own fundraising uh, applications, um, we could really see some of the ways in which the technology supports civil society that, sh- that far from being anathema to the U.S., is really in its DNA. You mentioned the Great Firewall of China, and uh, you know, what are the what are the costs? What are the risks? I mean, the the kind of uh, development of this technology can occur in a wide variety of places, and the, I guess the question is what what do you see as the consequences of pushing that development outside the U.S.? Absolutely. So. In China, for example, in amid the anti-lockdown protests that were taking place, it was actually folks' ability to avoid the Great Firewall using tools like VPNs to get around it and accessing the American internet that was a tool to fight some of the authoritarian crackdown and state coercion and really uh, state censorship of images, videos of what the crackdown looked like in China. So I think in America, we should be proud of the fact that it's our internet, it's our uh, free access to information that can serve as a tool for oppressed peoples uh, the world over. Uh, One example of the way in which crypto technology specifically can help to Uh, counteract authoritarian overreach was seen in Hong Kong when uh, the central government in Beijing was increasing its authority over Hong Kong, uh, civil society institutions uh, like the Apple Daily newspaper, a pro-democracy paper, were pressured to shut down. And crypto technology had a critical role in preserving the archives of that newspaper specifically. Um, so uh, records were put on the immutable blockchain. And now, um, instead of the dustbin of history in a, an Orwellian sense, uh, the archives of a pro-democracy journalistic outlet are now preserved. And I think we should embrace this possibility uh, that crypto technology enables. When people talk about crypto in the U.S., particularly people who either don't understand the technology or don't appreciate it or or think it's all just a bunch of hot air or a scam, um, including people you and I both know, you know, what are the op- what are the opportunities that this presents beyond the concerns of these people about, well, just people are just going to use it to evade taxes. And that's that that's enough for them to say, no, we don't we don't care for having this technology developed in the United States. So I think what folks should keep in mind is that technology tends to be ideologically neutral and no part of the political spectrum need have a monopoly on the use of this technology. So there's actually been some interesting uh, geopolitical theorizing from the tech investor and entrepreneur Balaji Srinivasan on an idea that he refers to as the network state. It's a provocative idea of the possibility of using crypto technology to organize new sovereign societies over the global internet, not just on the internet, but also incorporating uh, 
real estate all over the world. And one thing to keep in mind, though, is that on the path to what Srinivasan refers to as ne- as sovereign network states, there are intermediate phases. So there are network unions that are more like social networks uh, based on crypto technology that have Web3 properties. There are network archipelagos that are not sovereign, but that incorporate land holdings around the world. And I think that this progression should sound familiar to students of American history. Uh, For example, the idea of a network union is really just civic organizing, but using new tools over the internet um, and incorporating an immutable ledger to try to keep uh, good records and a good history for uh, a civil society organization. There's a Tocquevillian spirit to the possibility. And as we were saying, this needn't be relegated to just one part of the ideological spectrum. So, um, One example uh, that Srinivasan cites is for folks on, say, the socially conservative right, uh, you could have Benedict option communities referencing uh, the desire to organize around uh, socially conservative values. You could, on the other end of the spectrum, have progressive communes like we see in Vermont uh, straight out of the 1960s. Um, We could also have, for folks uh, who I think would be listening to this podcast, uh, libertarian galt gulches, if they recall the Ayn Rand reference. So I think the lesson to draw here is that far from being uh, a type of technology that serves a particular set of interests that ought to be extirpated, uh, crypto technology uh, really supports the idea of a thousand flowers blooming. And it does so in a way that's consistent with the best of American history in terms of Uh, folks from different persuasions uh, organizing civically and politically. Why is crypto uniquely suited to this task? It's a great question. So why why is crypto essential to this type of civic organizing? Why not just use uh, more traditional social networks? There are some important properties and features of decentralized networks to keep in mind. So for example, they allow exit rights. Um, This is critical in terms of what we think of as sort of just institutions. So instead of being uh, part of a walled garden where if you want to leave, you might lose access to your digital valuables, um, over a decentralized network, you can exit a particular community and take your digital assets with you. You own them. Uh, If you control the private keys, they're yours. Another uh, couple of very important properties are uh, tampering and censorship resistance. So this comes up in the payments context. Folks will point to the experience of the Canadian truckers having their bank accounts frozen. Uh, crypto technology resists that type of freezing of assets. And in addition, it it helps keep uh, a secure record. So this was useful in the case of the Apple Daily newspaper that we were talking about, avoiding the purging of democratic ideas from the historical record. And it can help with, frankly, a group's study of its own history. Um, There's the Orwell quote, and this was one that was cited by Srinivasan, that um, controlling the past means controlling the future, and controlling the present means controlling the past. And so having a good historical record, a robust one like the blockchain enables, is really essential to civic organizing. 
Jack Soloway is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Feel free to both subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 